Didn't you see the sign when you came in? This is Camp Crystal Lake. A long time ago, some ugly-ass kid named Jason drowned in this camp. His mom worked here. She blamed the counselors, but nobody believed her. So she went nuts, ended up killing a bunch of people because of it. <laughs> Sounds like they deserved it. Yeah, well, she didn't get everyone. This one girl fought back, cut that bitch's head clean off. Once again, we are back to South Jersey Slasher himself, South Jersey Jason, alongside the host that covers the most, Jimmy J. And today, we are sitting down with the one and the only, Mr. James Sweet. Jimmy, how are you today, bud? Good, brother. How are you doing? Oh, not bad, man. I, I thought you were going to come out here doing the dance that you did in that video to hype it up for us. Uh, Jason Rising, we got, James, we got James Sweet today on the show. Woo! Part three, <laughs> five. I can't do it like you, Jim. That's absorbing a lot of final chapter in my childhood. So it just kind of became a natural, natural dance progression. So you channeled your inner Crispin Glover. That's right. Awesome. Um, a hell of a job on that. Now I got to ask you, um, James, before we really get into this, what was your introduction to the horror genre? Well, I was an only child. So film and television was kind of my babysitter. That's how I grew up watching sci-fi or, um, you know, I grew up on Buck Rogers, Battlestar Galactica, um, Star Wars, and horror-wise, you know, I, when I was a little kid, I used to watch a lot of uh, Abbott and Costello nice. with meets Dracula and the werewolf, and, and I was always a big, uh, you know, like most kids, fan of Halloween getting dressed up and, and doing the scary, scary times in October. And, uh, one of the, I think first films that this is a sci-fi film, but I, as a little kid, it, it was pretty terrifying was the first alien movie. And I remember seeing that I was, I was pretty small when that, when that was out and it was on television and that was pretty scary. And, and I started watching more darker films like that, like The Exorcist, um, which, you know, as a sixth grader, pretty much traumatized you. <laughs> I was about to say, how'd that turn out? Yeah, yeah, not very well. But it was probably around middle school. A friend of mine, he would always draw pictures of, of like Jason and stuff like that. And I didn't know much about Friday the 13th. I was aware of it. 
because I remember going to outdoor school in the sixth grade, you know, every uh, in middle school in the sixth grade, every class would go to outdoor school. I don't know if they still do that anymore, but I never heard um, of it, to be honest with you. So it was like schooling outside. Basically, you go to camp. You go to okay. a, a like a summer camp for a week with your class and you do, you know, uh, camp activities. And that was a lot of fun. And uh, I remember being in the cabins and everybody was talking about Jason. Everybody's so scared of Jason. I'm like, I don't know you guys. What are you guys talking about? I don't know who this Jason guy is. So probably around the seventh grade, a friend of mine would always, he was a sketch artist and he'd always sketch pictures of Jason and whatnot. And I, that's when I started really getting involved in horror and learning about like the evil dead and, and more of that type of 80s horror, I should say. And, you know, getting into like pumpkin head and stuff like oh, that. And, uh, you know, as a 12 year old, I, I just, I soaked up the final chapter, like nobody's business and scared the hell out of me, but I loved it. So I, you know, cause you kind of, at that age, you're kind of connecting with, with little Tommy Jarvis, yep. Corey Feldman, cause he's probably what he's like a year older than I am. So you kind of connect with that. And, uh, so yeah, I just, you know, fell in love with it ever since. So it's safe to say part four is your favorite. You know, I, I like, I'm a fan of all the original franchise one through four. I have a special place in my heart for five because that was the first one I actually saw in the theater. Mm. Um, part six, when part six came out, I was probably, I think I was a freshman in high school and that, that was actually the first Friday, the 13th poster I ever had. There was a, VHS video store down the street and they had this poster bin of movie posters that they didn't want anymore when films came out. So you could grab a poster for like three bucks out of the bin. And my, the first one I had was uh, Jason lifts. So I had that on my wall. And uh, of course the back then Fangoria would have their little fold out posters on the covers. So, you know, I started coating my wall with, uh, you know, Bruce Campbell and, and different, different horror things. Like, of course, Freddy Krueger, everybody loves Freddy. I mean, but, uh, th that was the time, you know, everybody talked about Nightmare on Elm Street when I was in middle school and, and all those films, when they came out, they were, it was like that, that whisper among the kids of like, Oh, that was scary shit. You know, I mean, nowadays we kind of look at it a little differently, but no, you're right. I mean, eighties and horror are synonymous. Yeah. If you think about it, I mean, yeah. that's the biggest decade, I think uh, for horror movies in general. And, you know, um, you mentioned a lot of good movies there. What, what was like the first movie you rented in the video store? You remember? Oh, geez. That's man. I think I'd have to probably get a, get hypnotherapy to recall that <laughs> so long ago. So were you um, the type of kid that explore the horror section and rented a movie based off of the cover absolutely yeah absolutely that and also there was always you know it, you back then you'd probably rent like four or five different tapes every time you went to the video store because it was like and it would be one after the other mm -hmm. you, you know you have your buddies come over and stay the night you know you just be i remember uh trick or treat was a great one yeah back then 
and uh, what was another one? I, not just horror, but I'd bring home all the Chuck Norris films, you know, Delta Force. It's uh, an action. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, Rambo, you, you name it. Loved all that stuff. That's it. So that when when did you get to the point, James, and said, you know what? I want to make a horror film. When I was growing up around when I was 17 years old, I grew up with my grandmother and she let me at the time I started collecting some masks and I was I wanted to be a, a makeup artist. And I started getting into that kind of stuff when I did my first haunted house when I was 17 years old. And I kind of progressed a little bit further and further into the haunt field. Um, and it was, at, it got to a point where I was like, okay, I've learned how to build some sets. Um, and it was probably around 96 when I started acting. And that kind of progressed in learning how to make film being on set and, and doing the acting thing. And it came to a point where I was kind of, I wasn't a big fan of, of like, I, it's just me. I, I'm probably the worst example of, of, uh, as a, I guess a smart actor. Um, because I never wanted to do commercials. I, I never, I wanted to do stuff that I liked. I wanted to do films that I was into. And I thought the only way that I was going to be able to do that was to make my own stuff. And so my first film that I wrote um, and produced with a friend of mine, Robert Blanche, who was actually supposed to be the original director of Jason Rising, that was my introduction to making a movie and, and just getting the work in, you know, because you, you have to do it. You have to experience it to know how to make movies it's not just i want to be a filmmaker it's you go out and start making movies it doesn't matter how hands on all hands on you just got to get your feet wet and you learn so making a horror film especially as a haunter seemed like a natural thing loving people like tom savini stan winston all those people that that create you know greg nicotero that create all this great stuff that you just, you watch on The Walking Dead, you watch, you know, Evil Dead, all, all that that makeup. I was in love with that stuff. Um, I'm pretty nerdy, especially with my makeup artist, Christina Cordham. Uh, I just geek out every time I go to her studio or something. I'm just like, oh, that's so cool. What is that? How do I, what, what do I do with that? It's talent, you know? James, I'm telling you. A lot of hard work, a lot yeah. of dedication, a lot of time. Some of it, yeah, I mean, I think, was it Robert England's makeup for Freddy? Took hours? Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, saying, yeah. I, I mean, it's just, you know, in those those people that that do that like you know christina i i give her a ton of respect just because she's always working I, it's hard to even get some time to talk to her because she's always busy always on set that poor lady never has a break so it, i was i was thankful to to get her on her set for sure but um you know as far as making a horror film jason rising just i guess a fan film made sense because you wanted to gain an audience. Um, and when I first started that, believe me, I had no clue what the hell I was going to do. Um, and I, it was right at the time that never hike alone came out. And I thought, well, this is interesting. Somebody actually 
did a really fine job of making a, a solid Jason, you know, Friday the 13th fan film. Because there's a few out there that, you know, background productions, you, yep. you know. Um, but that was, I think Never Hike Alone was the film that was a tipping point of saying, yeah, I want I want to be involved in this. I want to take that next step and make this happen. So I respected we, the hell out of it. Oh, for sure. And Vince set the blueprint of how a good fan film can be made. And while he did such a great job as a filmmaker, that must put you under a lot of stress because he set the bar. And from what I've seen so far with the trailer and like the like the five minute clip that was released like a year ago, I was like, holy crap this is going to be good and i i can't wait and we're so close we're three weeks away from the recording um of when it will come out and this is to me one of the two fan films that i've been most waiting for the other one i was uh, his name was jason so this is just going to cap off my year of you know with jason rise and I, I i i know there's other thousands of other people that would probably share my beliefs as well that wow you know like Bravo, James. Um, so let's go no back. Pressure. To, no pressure. <laughs> but no pressure. But no, literally, when I first saw that trailer, uh, you know, uh, with headless Mrs. Voorhees just walking around, I was like, what? You know, like, like I said to Dave Brown, if I didn't know anything about this film, like, I didn't know it was crowdfunded. I didn't know it was independent. I'd be like, when's it coming out in the theaters? Like, you put, your trailer was quality like a plus plus you know Thank like you. you're welcome like when the girl's in the um the canoe and he's you know getting the rope and i mean i, I was just like this is what i want to see this is what we have been lacking in the the theatrical films because you know i like you i am a fan of one through four myself particularly the original has a you know, will always have a place in my heart because it was filmed in my home state. Um, but four out of all the films Jason was in, that's my favorite because Ted White, like Richard Brooker set set the standard for Jason and Ted White was just incredible in his performance. He was menacing. You know, he, you wanted him to kill those, those counselors. Um, but getting back to high school, uh, were you part of the drama club? Like, did you participate like either acting wise or behind the scenes, like uh, set decorations or anything? No, I, back in high school, I was, I was like a lot of kids. I was into LA guns, uh, ACDC. I was, I was in the hair band scene. Okay. I was playing, playing in, uh, in a rock band and, you know, I spent my mind, doing that stuff i mean it was all all part of it all part of the progression you know and that explains the moves on. jimmy that's it <laughs> yeah yeah explains the moves i mean you know you get you get a little uh a little taste of of feeling like a rock star you, it just kind of makes you want to do more and and uh i played in a band quite a number of years it wasn't wasn't great or anything but you know i was into that uh Nine Inch Nails, Rob Zombie kind of stuff. And and uh, then, you know, the acting bug kind of kicked in and took over. And it made sense because, you know, unless you're like an established artist, especially in the music scene, it, it's kind of hard to 
keep going. So it makes sense to do something where if you get older, which we do, um, <laughs> you're not going to be made fun of in the leather pants. That's what I was going to ask. Did now you were in a rock band like late 80s. So did you wear like the leather pants or leopard pants? Did you have like the long 80s hair? Well, I, had, I was I was more into the, uh, you know, like the the Motley Crue Skid Row kind of look okay. at the time. And uh, so it was more like that. It wasn't it wasn't the spandex scene. That was the early 80s. Yeah, I was still growing up up to that point. But uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I started playing in a band, I think, when I was sophomore in high school is when I really started learning how to play guitar and. And I think it was junior year when I actually joined a, a rock band. Um, and that was, you know, Def Leppard was still kind of, you know, Hysteria came out. And, okay. And that was a big deal. And, and what was know, the name of your girls, band? Girls, girls. What was the name of your band? Uh, the very first band I was in was called Arrogance. Okay. And uh, it was just, I met some dude on the light rail and... He asked me if I, I, he liked my look, which was, it was always about the look, you know, back in the eighties. <laughs> oh yeah. So, and I had the long, you know, I had the ratted out hair and, you know, <laughs> one of those kids look like trouble, but, uh, <laughs> then it, later on I was in a band called Candles at Nine, which, um, I, I had a, a great opportunity. I got to play with some, some good people, uh, Dean Castronovo from Journey. Oh, um, excellent I was able drummer. to play with Craig mm. Montoya from Everclear. Okay. And, and actually, one of the first shows we ever played, we opened with, uh, we did a, a dual show with Guar. Oh. <laughs> and that was a lot of fun. Wow. That, so, and were, but now was your music on the level of Guar? <laughs> yes, they're. Uh, it was a little, I mean, it, it was a little different. It was, it was still, it was probably more Rob Zombie style. Okay. So we had, and we did like kind of a costume thing, kind right, of a nice. mix between Marilyn Manson and, and maybe like Nine Inch Nails with, with some makeup touches. But, uh, um, it, you know, it was fun and, and I enjoyed that creative process, which all of that music stuff kind of helps, you know, because, I'm working with a friend of mine who I've recorded a lot of songs with. So we're him and I are doing the score for the film. Nice. So having that musical background kind of helps with that. So you're like a John Carpenter per se scoring your own film. Honestly, I wouldn't say that, but okay. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm setting up a lot of, and a lot of it had to do with the mental, like, with John Carpenter, with Halloween, my understanding is he was on kind of a time crunch. And so right. he created the score doing maybe like six different pieces and then just taking those pieces, which we all love. We all love that, oh, yeah. that score. So I'm, I'm kind of basing that mindset doing Jason, Jason Rising on the Carpenter method. On, okay. We're creating these pieces that work for certain moods and certain characters. And then we're placing them in those spots and just enhancing each one of those sections to where, you know, they fit with like suspenseful moments and, and things like that. So you, you know, you wrote uh, Jason rising, you were one of the writers uh, and you wrote some other short movies. Did you go to school for like, um, 
um, literature or anything? No, no? probably okay. should have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I probably needed to. No, no, it's, you know, it's just, if you love something enough or you want to do something enough, you just do it. And it came natural to yeah. you. Yeah. And you, okay. you know, you learned, you learn stuff along the way. I mean, we've got the internet now. There's, yeah. if you need help with something, there's a million options out there to find some tutorials or, or something out there. And, and working with some of the people that I've worked with, I mean, once we, you know, having, when I first started, I was writing the script with, with Robert, uh, with Robert Blanche. And he was my acting coach uh, for a number of years. And he, he would always write personal scenes for each, like we would do this taped scene, almost like a mini short. And he would write scenes for uh, a pair of people to do, and he would record it like a little short film, but he would write it knowing you as, as a, as an actor. So the dialogue would fit you really well. And I learned a lot from that because I would start working with him on the writing when we did blood and sugar, he helped me write that. So I just learned a lot from experience and, and working with other people. Okay. So now we're going to shift a lot. Great. And um, yeah, we'll probably mention Robert a couple more times. So, um, you know, I do my research, so I, pulled you up on IMDb and I looked at your, your acting credits. And so I just uh, chose to pick some of your resume. And the one that stood out to me first was the librarians, which is a very popular show on TNT. It was a spinoff TV series of Noah Wiley, a couple of movies he did. Uh, so you were in an episode. Did you happen to work with Noah Wiley? I was in the premiere season episode. Okay. The very first season. Um, and actually, uh, I was with the, I was, I played a terrorist. Okay. It was in, in, in Germany, technically. And the terrorist that was alongside me was actually Luke Shook, who you might have known, who was in Vengeance, who played the guy with the beard. Mm, I have to go back and look. I'm offhand. I'm not sure of the, uh, the the character you're describing but in, in oh that yes episode, yes 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 i remember now yep okay yeah that's luke but uh yeah him and i we were I, we worked with it was the opening scene where we meet you know where we see the librarian again and that was that was two two or three amazing days of working with noah and and rebecca romaine very nice very nice um and then we have a short film 2014 dirt city and so when i go to the imdb page you're uh, you're looking pretty badass holding a gun it looks like you oh, holding the gun yeah i was like oh hey and this film it's uh the year's 2037 and the world has seen a decade of global peace and prosperity it looks like it's a dystopian type film um are you a villain in this or a good guy no, actually, it, it's an interesting story is that the, the guy who I worked with was somebody who was a filmmaker in Portland, Maurice Cardwell, and he actually did a, a little, he wrote a, a version of Jason Rising as well, and we took a little bit of that, so he has an additional material. Uh, so you kind of put them the both film. together? What's that? You kind of meshed them both together? 
his version. Yeah, we took there was a scene in there that I really liked that I wanted to add in because I thought it really worked well for a couple of the characters. So we used it. Um, But once uh, Vinny came on as a co-writer, everything kind of changed. So we just kind of started fresh and and just built it on that. Um, But as far as Dirt City, Dirt City was kind of a a concept that him and I both kind of pieced together. And I brought in Kyle who plays Pete Daltrey in the film. And he was in dirt seat as well. And that was my first time um, working with Kyle. And then the second time was I brought him on for blood and sugar, the short film that we did. But uh, basically I play a father whose kid was kidnapped we were, you know, survived a nuclear war. It's a, it's a short film. And, uh, so I go after, uh, looking for, there was this group of, it's kind of like a, a mix between Western and apocalyptic. So it kind of, so it kind of reminds me of like Firefly in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Something like kind of like that. Oh, very nice. And we actually we shot that in some of the location where we did some of the Jason Rising stuff as well. Oh, awesome. Uh 2014, you were in an episode of Z Nation, a very uh famous zombie uh show on sci-fi, and that had DJ Qualls was uh, one of the cast members. What was it like working um on that set? I, that was probably one of the coolest experiences as, as an actor. I had a lot of fun. John Hyams, who who directed that episode was a blast to work with. Very cool director. Um, He, he, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. You you learn things from the directors that you work with and you kind of take a little bit of that. Like when I worked with Dean Devlin um, on, on the librarians, you, you learn, how he does things. And, and with John Hyams, I, I learned how to interact really well personally with, with actors. And, and I, that was just a fun day. You know, you didn't, I didn't want that one to end. I was only on there one day. It was like a 13 hour day, but um, that, that was a blast. The only, I, I probably shouldn't bring this up because it's pretty disgusting, but <laughs> the only thing that really sucked that day was when the guy that slit his throat was on top of me as he's turning as a zombie and attacking me. They, they put blood in his mouth. And as I'm screaming, he's <laughs> spewing blood out of his mouth. It's coming into my mouth. So I'm getting snowballed with fake blood. And it's, just, it's horrible. I'm just like, what? And then it tasted like root beer. So I'm like, what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> I, was I, trying to spit it out. <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah, it was a bizarre, bizarre moment in, in filming, but uh, no, I had, I had a lot of fun on Z Nation. That was a, that was a good time. Okay. Uh, 2016. Uh, this title was a tongue twister. Shogun elite obsidian blade. You played cypher. That was another thing that Maurice Cardwell uh, did. We, we always tried working together on something. He's he's big into the, like those uh, um, those samurai, uh, kung fu samurai type things with modern action and sci fi mixed in. Um, 
and he would always call me up. So I got to play a villain in that and just another short film. And, you know, a lot of those things coming up as an actor, like I did a lot of Art Institute thesis films to build my resume and, and learn set work. And that was a, a huge thing. So you kind of gain a, a little bit of a reputation with some of the filmmakers in town. And, and I remember the very first thing Maurice called me on um, was an interesting one. I was a, like this badass kind of a, kind of a mix between Neo and some assassin, but I was blind. So I had to do everything knowing I couldn't see anything. I had to just sense it all. Okay. So that was interesting. The but no, I had a lot of fun. Maurice always has some great ideas and, and, uh, I think he moved to Vegas, but, uh, but it was it was a lot of fun doing some of those characters for sure. He let me have a lot of free reign with that stuff. All right. So 2017, uh, you wrote and starred in Blood Sugar with uh, Dan Kyle, who we'll mention a little later. Um, this one, like, I mean, all the films so far have piqued my uh, attention. I'm like, I want to find out where I can watch these, but this one really, I want to watch like tonight. Um, talk to us about this one. Well, Blood and Sugar was um kind of just that was my first introduction to making a movie and that was you know when i worked with robert on it i just had to just get my feet wet and start writing and and doing something and one of the films that really blew me away when i watched the very first time was uh limitless mm, yeah and i just i fell in love with that movie that was just such a great great film great writing everything about it just was really cool. So I, I wanted to take that and do something that maybe had a little bit more of an X-Files twist to it, add some conspiracy type things like, and we have a lot of, uh, you know, things on the, on YouTube where reptilian eyes are changing. And so I wanted to kind of use that as, you know, the, the drug that, is created the street name for the drug is called blood and sugar oh, um, okay. because of what was what it was made of it had dna uh blood in it and it was it was mixed with cocaine and other secret drugs that the elite used to gain you know because they were smarter than everybody they gained power but it also shifted their eyes so it was sort of a a pilot concept of a sort of a web series idea okay, okay. and uh, it's on youtube i'm definitely so, gonna watch it this weekend um it, it was my my trial and error and that's actually when i first met carl winery okay yep carl he yep. was on the production as well and and uh you know carl and i kind of fell in love ever since that okay and then the last short um on your resume uh, as 2020 skin lab americale and just reading the plot this is 2020 all over like just the, the plot of you know it's like he watches hate news and not that we got hate news in 2020 but the news made everyone dislike each other i don't, I don't like using the word hate because it's so strong but it def the media definitely divided the country and was this written before 2020 or did you write it and get it out in no th this was actually carl 
because Carl does a lot of music videos. He works with a lot of bands. And so he just called me up and said, hey, this is sort of the concept. And, and if you see Jason Reynolds is, uh, is in that as well, who plays Jed in Jason Rising. And uh, so I just, I had some stuff, you know, some of my, you know, I got costume stuff in the, in the tubs in the garage. And I'm like, you know, he's telling me the concept. I'm like, oh, let's, let's have fun with this, you know? So I just headed over to Carl's place and we just started shooting. And then we went to Cobalt Studios and started messing around with some other ideas and just sort of built this mad scientist kind of thing that perpetuated the, I guess the, the anger that, you know, there's a lot of mistrust in the media and, and it causes, you know, all this basically scare tactics and causes people to be, I don't know, conspire and, and feel like they have to look over their shoulder out their window, you know, worried about who's watching them kind of thing. And that, I thought I thought it was a great compliment to the video. Skin Lab uh, had shot their uh, their live band stuff already, so we just added the story stuff to it. And uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun with it. Skin Lab dug it, and so it worked out. So can we? Uh, you had mentioned that Blood Sugar we can find on YouTube. The other shorts that you were in, can we find them on YouTube as well? That I'm not sure on. I, I honestly, I, I'm not even sure if Dirt City was anything more than a trailer. I don't think okay. it ever got, got finished. I know gotcha. he, he won an award as a trailer, but uh, I don't think it actually ever was put out as a finished short. Yeah, so you get some I'm of that sure blood about. and sugar on the side over here. <laughs> yeah. I'll talk off air about that one. <laughs> Well, blood and sugar, you know, it's the thing that I, I incorporated a little bit and you, you can see it is, as I wanted to have sort of a, uh, underlying layer of Alice in Wonderland when you're, yeah. you're kind of going down the rabbit hole and you, you'll see, uh, Kyle Vahan who plays Pete Daltrey. He's in that and he plays detective Michael Ives and I'm kind of his new partner. We had a whole backstory involved with how his old partner was killed and actually Robert was going to play that and we just turned it into a smaller short and we figured if we continued on a second episode of it or or you know longer duration of it we would include that but uh um it's it was it was fun and I would love to revisit it I would love to go back and and, you know maybe work on it as because I always felt like the main character who played Michael Ives, Nicholas Cage would be perfect for it. Nicholas Cage. I mean, he's been in a lot of uh, questionable films as of late. Well, but I want to see his new I gotta film, tell you, Pig. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Yep. I'm kind of intrigued with that. You know, I was, I loved, uh, what was it, Wally's Wonderland? That Willie's, was, Willie's Wonderland. Willie's Wonderland. Yeah. <laughs> My wife it. was like, what? Are you watching? I said, it's Nick Cage killing Muppets. <laughs> that was glorious. That was a great hour and a half. It was. It. And he didn't have to have any dialogue. His his physical action and his facial expressions spoke for him. <laughs> He's Which an Oscar winner. Easy. <laughs> no, it's not easy no. for an actor. I mean, yeah. a lot of 
actors, they, they tend to base their character on the words and the dialogue and create the moments out of that. And it's the complete opposite. Yeah, and that's so hard to be Jason. How the film industry started with silent film, and then when they went to talkies, they were like, "Oh man, I don't know if this is going to work." You know, they they weren't sure about it, but you know, a hundred years later, here we are. Yeah, yeah, no, that that was a good one. And and Mandy, Mandy was great. I have yet to see Mandy. Um, Did I watch that? No, I did not watch that one. I tried watching. Oh no, was Mandy where it starts? Where it's him and his wife, like in the. I don't know, jungle or somewhere, farmland. Around the woods. Yeah, I 20 minutes, I was just like, I had to turn it off, but I'm going to try to rewatch it eventually. Um, the one where with him and um, uh, where he played mom and dad and they go crazy. I can't think of the name off. I think it's called mom and dad, maybe, or parents. Uh, it was him and Summer Blair were the parents and something just clicked. And all the parents in like America went crazy killing their kids. Yeah, that was oh, a good one. Oh yeah, I forgot the name and I yeah. know what you're talking about too, Brian. Wow. Yeah. I haven't seen that one, but that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a decent <laughs> one. That's a decent one. I mean that um, might that just might happen soon. <laughs> <laughs> I almost did during COVID. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. Let's switch gears back to uh, Jason Rising. How long did it take you to write this, James? There's a question right there. Um, <laughs> you know, we had so many like like I said when I first started, I had no idea what I just knew I wanted to do a fan film and I knew it was going to be Friday the 13th, but I had no clue the concept, nothing. And when I started working with Robert on the writing, we would just bounce back different ideas, different ideas. We finally came up with one. We did a 25 page script, 26 pages, something like that. And it, it was actually pretty fun. And as far as um, how many how many versions I couldn't even count, but there was something about it that wasn't quite right. And at that time, Robert was going through, he had a a lung issue, a developing lung issue that finally he needed a lung transplant. And he had to step away from a lot of it during the, you know, during a lot of the, I think, we shot like the last thing that we did together was we shot um, the very first piece for Indiegogo. It was sort of a, a development piece, just a fun piece where I was in it. And we had Dan dressed as Jason in it. And he directed that, that thing while we were doing it. But then it just became writing. And as we were doing the writing of it, um, he said, okay, look, I, this is going well, but I'm going to have to step away. I can't direct it. Like, okay. It just progressively got worse. And he finally got the call to where he could get the lung transplant. And he was in, ended up being in ICU for close to eight months. Oh, Jesus Christ. And uh, he was able to come home. And I was, I, the, the day that he actually called me back. And I was actually, I heard his voice again and heard his voice close to a year. Oh man. And that was a great day. And I thought, okay, Robert's coming back. We're back in business. And we were in production. Vinny was on board at that time. And during that time period after uh, when uh, Robert was stepping away as a director, he was going to, 
I kind of conversed with Nick Lyon, who Robert was in a film with, who uh, he directed a film called Bullet with Danny Trejo. And Robert was in that. And we were going to get Nick to come on board and direct. And, and that that sort of just fell through and, and didn't work out. So I had to take the reins. And I was sitting there and I was like, what the hell are we going to do? How are we going to do this? So I, being a Predator fan, I just kind of looked over and I'm like, what would be a, a way to bring people to Camp Crystal Lake without making it the typical we're going camping, we're going where we're not supposed to go kind of thing. And it just, it felt right having this, this corrections farm, this with female prisoners and they escape and, and it's in the vicinity of Camp Crystal Lake and, and there's a plot there and they make their way in that direction, which leads cops into that area as well. So, um, massaging that script to work with that concept took a long time. It took almost, I mean, we, we changed things as we went along the way as well. So, you know, you could, you could essentially say the script took three years. It was a big piece of clay that we had to just sculpt as we went. What do you think now? Like after everything's all said and done, are you happy with the finished product? Yeah. You know, for me, it was always about making sure that, Whatever we did, you like the characters, um, because if you don't give a shit about the characters, what's the point? You're not going to care if they get killed or not. That um, the story made sense. It was simple enough to follow, but not so simple that it was boring. It has some thought in there. But as far as how it it's turning out I, you know I, i'm i'm excited i'm i'm really excited for people to see it um you know the the thing about friday the 13th the franchise is that each film not not there's no two films alike each one is different there's some that's why you have all these people that are you know all the friday fans that are like well i love part 8 well i love part yeah. 3 and and because there's something for everybody and it's not no two films are the same which which i think is is good in a way so it makes doing fan films um a little bit more freedom to where you're not stuck saying well we have to keep it along these lines because everything else is like that you have a little bit of freedom and for me it was about keeping the look of jason of the jason that i loved but yet doing something a little different story-wise and the concept to, to bring in. And it, you know, it's tough because there is so many different Friday the 13th films. You don't know if people are going to like this or not. You don't know. Yeah. So you just, you have to go with your gut and put it out and hope for the best. But like you said, there's something for everyone, James. So I'm sure a group of people, a large group of people that's going to like, uh, what you got going on over here, man? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I wanted to bring something new, you know, I wanted like, sure. We've seen different, uh, things like part three where dead Pamela comes out as a vision and things like that. But we wanted to really bring Pamela back. <laughs> and if you can have, you know, this bald hockey mask killer returning and never dying, why can't we bring mom back? 
Why not? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so let's speaking of bald hockey mask killer, let's talk about the casting of Jason. Now, Dan Kyle plays Jason. You've worked with him previously. So when you were writing the film, did you have him in mind or were there auditions for Jason? No, no, that I Dan was first and foremost. And when I did Blood and Sugar and I he played the assassin role as ghost in the film. Um, just his stature alone when he would wear the mask. And if you see uh, in Blood and Sugar, he, he has a mask on. And the design of that mask is sort of, there's a hint of Friday the 13th there. Um, but when I was working with him, I was like, he would be perfect. He would be perfect in that. And I asked him, you know, before I did it, I said, look, I'm thinking about doing this. You want to play Jason? And he was like, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> I want to do that. So, you know, and I knew that he, he's got the acting chops to do it. I knew he would do it really well. And in between the look and his stature, he has that, that perfect mold of Brooker and Ted White. It's that, that perfect in between. Okay. Now, did he say method? Like, you know, how some of the stunt actors, when they played Jason, they would stay in character and not really associate with the cast to make the scenes more believable. Was Dan that way or did he interact with the other cast and crew? Um, he interacted. I mean, the thing is a lot of this cast, we all know each other. Most of us are friends. We've been in the same acting classes um, through the Actors Lab and, and whatnot with Christina Haddad. Yeah, so I was about that. to ask you, how'd you find the crew? Um, the, the crew or the cast? No, the, well, the, the cast. Um, I was well, just about those, to ask you, but you're answering that now. You, you're pretty much- A lot them. of them I'd, I'd worked with before because of Blood and Sugar. There was okay. Patrick Green was in Blood and Sugar, Christina Haddad, Dan Kyle- uh, Kyle Vahan. So there's half your cast right there. The only one I included outside of that that I hadn't worked with before was Jason Reynolds and Jerry Bell, who I knew from the Portland scene. Um, but it, you know, you know all these people. These, these, you know, we're Portland's a pretty small acting community, so we're all pretty close. We all know each other or know of each other. Where did the filming take place? There was a few different locations that we we would shoot. Um, the main area where we did like the barn uh, for the corrections farm and some of our camp stuff where the cabins were, that was all on the property of my aunt and uncle, uh, John Lisa Helgerson. And they have like a 30 acre land where you know, they have like a, a wooded area to where we could just go down there and build. And, you know, they have they have ATVs. So we would just take the ATVs down and trailer <laughs> and and bring all the materials. And I know one time we 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 rented a U-Haul and we brought the U-Haul down the hill and and it was still a little moist and we got the U-Haul stuck. So we had to get um, my Uncle John had to call one of the neighbors who had this big tractor and had to tow out our U-Haul out with a big old tractor <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's always something. But um but yeah, and then between uh Battleground Washington and Woodland Washington where I'm I'm at, um 
that was most of our woods and lake setting. Now I'm I'm curious, James. Uh, can you unveil anything to us about the film? Can you? I because I know it's coming out the 13th, correct? Friday 13th, August. But can you tell uh, the listeners now anything, any sneak peeks of what they could expect? It's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> there it is, folks. It's really you've heard, cool. You've heard it here first. Um, <laughs> so let's now. Let's, I, I don't want to spoil it. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like. I don't want to say it's it's hard because you want to say so much because you you're excited, excited you want about to it, yeah. get it out there but um I'm proud of what the cast has done they've done some great work um these characters I think you'll be able to see these characters and and appreciate them and, and fall in love with them um but you know it's I, there's times there when when you you're on set and you're filming and, and you're like, am, am I filming a guy in a costume or am I am I filming Jason? You know, you get chills on sometimes when you're on set and, you, and Dan's doing his work and you're like, Jason's there. We just filmed Jason. And that was great. Those are the things that you just you feel really good about when when the work shows through and, and you get that sense of of seeing your childhood monster, you know, right, right in front before of you. your eyes. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And that, that you know, and that, that was Jason. Jason is, that's my teenage Frankenstein. Huh. There you go. There Jason's you go. risen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the trailers. We have young Pamela. We have headless Pamela walking around. And then with the most recent trailer, you did that extreme close up of the worm in Jason's eye. Like to me, it brought back, a flashback of Jason lives when he got hit by the lightning and his eye opened up. Were, is that, was that your inspiration for that, that shot? Absolutely. That yeah. was the homage to it. Um, okay. And there's, and there's a lot of little elements that, you know, that I wanted to incorporate as a fan of Friday the 13th was those little bits and pieces that I loved. Um, you know, the, the crate, the crate that mm -hmm. Jason's buried in, that's a sort of a homage to part five in the beginning scene with Corey Feldman. Um, and also a little uh, homage to Fluffy in Creepshow. Okay. I, mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I always remember that scary crate under the stairs. And I was like, that's just, that's really cool. So I just wanted to incorporate those kinds of things. And, and uh, you know, there's a little, little touches here and there throughout the film that, you know, little Easter eggs of other films, but you know, you, I didn't want to just be a sequel to part four or, or, you know, I, I want to incorporate all the things that I loved about Friday the 13th, like having Pamela in it, um, having, you know, those, those little tidbits, like the worm in the eye from part six, when we see Jason coming back, because as a kid, that, that was great. We love that stuff. Oh yeah. Um, but I, I never, I never got to see Jason in that in-between zone between the Ted white mm -hmm. and the zombie. I wanted that in between. And that's what I felt like part five should have been. Yeah, exactly. It makes you kind of wonder what if, you know, like right. how Marvel comics do the what if comics, what if Friday the 13th, like what if part five was completely different? Like, 
would they, you know, like, because they, you know, part five led you to believe that Tommy Jarvis was going to take on the persona of Jason. And, you know, they actually did have a script for that, but John Shepard backed out because he, uh, you know, started going to church and became a born again. But even at the end of part four, it kind of it made you want to think when they do that, Corey Feldman, the pause, like, was he going to be crazy? Like, was he going to yeah. be an ex psycho because he had a traumatic ex experience? So, back in Friday the 13th of August 2020, I believe that was when you released a five minute segment. Um, to me, it looked like the beginning of the film and sometime after part four. Am I correct in saying that? Um, correct. So, how much longer after part four did that scene take place? Well, technically, that was like I based that that concept, that idea. Um, Vinny and I kind of worked on that together. Um, as if you watch the special features in part four, when they the stuff that you don't see, uh, where mom's in the dead in the bathtub, and and we reference that in some of the dialogue. Um, <clears throat> Jason would have escaped. And when we see him laying in the woods, that is him after he left the Jarvis home. And he was finally tracked down by uh, the local sheriff, um, who was Pete's dad in the film. Um, and he, that's, that night he was crated up and taken to, to the camp to be buried. Very nice. And that was, you did that for like, it was a backer exclusive first. So I remember I was in Blairstown and I was like waiting for my phone for the notification to go off. And I must've watched it over and over and over. What was the feedback that you received from that, from like the backers and fans of the, of your film? You know, I, I, I felt like it was very positive, you know, and people appreciated the, the, the quality and, you know, that was the very first weekend we shot was, uh, you know, aside from trailer footage for, you know, concept stuff. But that was the very first weekend Vinny flew up and, and we, you know, sunk our teeth in to really making this happen. And that was a, a great weekend. I mean, I, you know, and that's that's a testament to Vinny. I mean, first time I ever met Vinny in person, you know, he came out we just we grab shovels and he he goes right to work you know he's he's no nonsense hands on yeah yeah, yeah. no vinny's great vin's Vin, a great guy yeah he is you know speaking um, of Vin, he's in the wolf pack the wolf pack there that's what go. i'm talking about <laughs> uh, and, and just too sweet pack. james i'm telling you uh but speaking of vinny though uh you know covid it threw a monkey wrench in a lot of plans production and everything but it also gave you more time to kind of like fine-tune things and, and deliver like an a plus plus production and you know like you said vince came on board helping your film um and we all know like you explained earlier how he became a part of the team but can you tell us about his character's name right here officer playboy tell us about like <laughs> Vinny's character over here it's just like a hugh hefner homage over here is he gonna have the women lined up a mile long and just like you know limousines well it was it. it was one of those things where you know you kind of come up on with stuff on on set at the time and you know we we've had a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. Um, and with you'll, you'll see right away when you see the, the, the shot of him, why, 
he took that name. But, um, you know, the, these uh, COVID, yeah, definitely COVID was blessing in disguise because, yeah, we, we would have loved to have got it finished, but things happen for a reason. You know, I, I truly think that. And I feel like that gave us a lot of time to do some reshoots that we wanted to do that we didn't think we could. Um, making things better, adding scenes. So, it, you know, it, it, it's coming out on Friday the 13th this August because that's when it was meant to. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, sure. a- absolutely. And like you said, everything happens for a reason. Um, is there anything that you can uh, tell us, like any crazy moments from behind the scenes that you could talk about? Any uh, in making the film? Any pranks or anything? <laughs> well, I will say that um, I don't know about pranks. I mean, we always we always fart around. I mean, it's always just fun. It's a lot of work because you're going a 15 hour day. There's still not enough time. Yep. So, uh, you know, there's there's days. I know there was that first weekend we shot, and these these have been several days where you you know it's you're going at the crack of dawn and you're not coming home until the sun's coming up mm. from set because of the time it takes to clean up and, and, you know, pack up the U-Haul and break down and you show up and your wife's wondering what the hell you're doing <laughs> all night long. And, and uh, yeah, and between that and shooting in, in the elements, I mean, which partly is my fault. I, I tend to pick either the hottest day or the coldest day to shoot for whatever reason. It just lands on that. I, you know, I remember going down uh, to the camp, which, which is a testament to the cast as well, because I was going to play a prank on them because we had a heat wave not that long ago. And I was going to play a prank on them. You know, it was 115 degrees here. And I was going to say, look, Christ. we got one more, sh- one more thing we got to shoot and we got to do it today. Um, and, and I wanted to see their reaction, but knowing my cast, they would have not liked it, but they would have been there in costume and ready. And that's, that's a testament to them. They would have done it. Oh, yeah. They're ready for anything. They're troopers. I mean, you got, yeah. you got a military, you got an army out there. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there's, there's days where it was 28 degrees and Dan Kyle's, you know, we just, you know, he's got hand warmer packs and, and just he's sitting down and it's freezing and, but when it's time to go up and do it, he shakes it off and then we make it work. And, and it's, it's been a lot. It's been a long, long journey to get this thing done. You know, it's just, this isn't easy. And, you know, that's, that's just the filming side of things. You know, you have to put into account that you've got four campaigns. You got to make sure, you know, backers get all their stuff and, and not only that, but you're running wardrobe, set building, all of that stuff. And it's just for the ragtag group that we were, you know, it's a lot of work, but we made it work. We made it happen. You're a rock band, Jimmy. You had the band yeah. and, and you guys did it. You guys did it. August 13th. I know we can't wait. Um, but before we conclude this, I want to get to a little segment here. And you probably, hopefully, you've seen uh, a little segment called the two minute drill. You familiar with it? No, but lay it on me. Okay, here it is. Two-minute <laughs> drill. I'm going to ask you a whole bunch of random questions, and all you got to do is just give me the best James Sweet answers. Give me your answer to these questions. Okay. You ready to all write? Right. All right. Three, two, one, 
go. Favorite horror icon? Jason Voorhees. Favorite slasher? Jason Voorhees. Weapon of choice? Machete. To remake or not to remake? If it's done right, sure. Dark Alley in New York City. Who do you want to have you back? Um, Predator. Mm. Freddy versus Jason. Who wins? Jason. 80s or 90s horror? 80s. Favorite psychological horror movie? Oh, Jesus. Uh, Psycho. Favorite horror movie quote? The computer don't lie. (laughs) (laughs) The scariest movie you've seen? Final chapter. Mm. Best horror voice? Freddy. Favorite zombie flight? Dang. That's a tough one. I like a lot. Um, I'd probably say the the remake of uh, Night of the Living Dead. Tom Savini did. Universal Monster of Choice. Um, I'd say I'd say uh, Frankenstein. Wes Craven or John Carpenter? Dude, can't you can't that that's painful. (laughs) I'll say Carpenter. Favorite Halloween? Halloween, the first one. Favorite Nightmare on Elm Street? First one. Best horror movie score or theme? Halloween. What word would you add to the end of this quote? Welcome to primetime. Beyond! <laughs> Most maniacal laugh award Time. goes to. Oh, almost. He almost got it. Jimmy yeah. Got it. It breezed through it. Uh, I said, Most maniacal laugh award goes to. Probably Bruce Campbell. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I, James, I have to say, out of all the individuals we did the two-minute drill with, you almost cleared the whole uh, questions. You're like three away. Three I'm waiting for somebody to clear, because I'm telling you, the first person that clears this two-minute drill, we're going to get you a gift card of some sort. <laughs> if you're in a store or something like that, I'm telling you. But uh, damn, I got to ask you, I guess, the remaining questions here, Jimmy, if you, if you offer it. Let's do it. How would you want to die in a horror movie? What makes you think I have it? <laughs> oh, is that a little sneak peek? Uh-oh, uh-oh. Uh, ultimate Scream Queen. Ultimate what? Scream Queen. Oh. Um. Jeez. God, that's a big list. There's a lot of those. Um. Adrian King. Okay. And then uh, your horror movie crush. Does it have to be horror? Uh, any genre. I guess any genre. God. I'd probably have to say Kate Beckinsale. Mm. Okay. All right. Good choice. But yeah, Jim, I'm telling you, man, this close. Almost so finishing close. the list over there. But uh, we want to go talk about Jason Rising. Okay. Premiering August 13th, Friday the 13th on YouTube. And uh, that night you're having a premiere party at the Hollywood Theater in portland oregon now talk to us about this yeah um i i remember friday the 13th in december 2019 uh amy Steele and adrian king were there and they 
showed 35 millimeter parts one and two at the at the Hollywood. And I, you know, I was there with Vincent and Dan and and we had a blast. And I was like, this would be a great place to show the film. And uh, it's an iconic theater in Portland. And it's it, I think it's it's going to be a great night. It's sort of a red carpet premiere. Um, and we're, we damn near sold out all the tickets. So, wow. So what's the capacity for the theater? Um, right now, as far as, uh, full capacity, I think it's just under like 400. And you're almost sold out of tickets. Yeah. We, we put up, I think it was around 200 tickets because a lot of them between cast and crew and and their guests. Um, but we, we put up, uh, 200 general mission and those are pretty close to being gone that's that's awesome i'm, yeah. I'm very happy to hear that that's that's really great uh so um friday 13th we have the premiere it's going to be on the uh, west coast you have it going out on youtube that night and then if you can't make it out on the west coast because maybe it's too far we got you on the east baby we got you on the east coast saturday august 14th you'll be able to watch Jason Rising at the Friday 13th Museum in Blairstown. And this is free to the public. Um, We're asking for donations. And what Jimmy and I decided, because we're also going to be screening, his name was Jason as well. So what we're going to do is for people that, people have already started donating, which is awesome. Um, So they can donate online. um, They can donate in person. And then what we're going to do is, we're going to take the money and divide it up between the museum. And then we're going to throw you and Dave Brown and his name is Jason money as well to go back to your project for any final things you need to do, you know, shipping costs or whatever. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Um, So we're going to start that like around as soon as the night falls. So, you know, around probably quarter to nine o'clock we'll start off with uh, his name and then we're going to end with Jason rising. And before that, for the fans that come out, I'll be in my Jason Rising newest cosplay, uh, taking photos with the fans. And um, you know, I when I saw Jason Rising, like I'm always looking for new ideas for a cosplay, whether it's something from the film or something uh, original concept. And like I said, Part Four was my favorite. And when I saw Jason Rising, like just the this, the look of Jason, you know. Um, I was like, yeah, I got to do this. So, you know, I, uh, awesome. had, I had Topher Westcott Great. do the hawk in the hood for me. You know, Topher. Um, and I had James Ingram do the shirt. You were kind enough to send me some images so I can send to him. And uh, it was, you know, I started doing some photos. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a very comfortable costume. Of course, I picked the hottest day of the month to do the photo shoot. So <laughs> it happens. How it goes. Yeah. It happens. Jimmy knows something about that. Yeah, so it's going to be a great it's going to be a great weekend uh and uh for Friday 13th weekend. Like I'm I'm just happy that we're kind of back to a quote unquote normal society that we can do these things again and it's yeah. Jason Rising is long overdue and can I ask now when Jimmy and I saw his name was Jason and Dave Brown did a great job. And like you had said about character development he had character development in his film. Uh, the one thing that I really enjoyed about part his his film was I could put it in between the original and part two. 
could I somewhat maybe do the same, put it in between, say, part four and part six? Um, one of the things I, you could, if you wanted to, but one, one of the things I didn't want to do because the timeline, as we all know, is such a, a mess. <laughs> mess up, yeah. <laughs> it, it's a mess. And I didn't, especially today, you're doing modern stuff, and, and it would be very difficult to make that work, essentially. Mm-hmm. And that's why we did the slight connection to part okay. four. And then the rest of it is basically kind of a present day. It just gotcha. It has the look of Jason that I wanted. I okay. didn't want it to have to necessarily match up with any current Jason or any progression of Jason other than my version, more deteriorated Brooker White kind of gotcha. thing. Mm-hmm. And that was just a preference. And you probably could, but I wouldn't say that it definitely mixes in with this timeline. Gotcha. Well, in my um, mind, I'm going to say it does. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's and that's kind of what we wanted. You take it, do you know, put it wherever you want. But we just, I just wanted that little connection to the older franchise, and that's what we did with that opening scene. For sure. Now, one last question before Jimmy closes it out: uh, Do you have any plans to pro- for promotion? Are you doing any horror conventions or film fest? Um, we have submitted to several festivals um and a lot of those uh we won't know notifications for we we were able to become a finalist and and this is an unfinished submission so this is unfinished um right now in in what it is uh some of those like we we got a finalist um for the hollywood horror fest oh very nice nice and so that was cool. Obviously, you always want to win, but, um, you know, just that's pretty cool, you know, for an unfinished piece of work, um, which I don't I'm not a fan of. I don't like sharing stuff unless it's close to finished. Um, just that's just my hang up. But uh, as far as conventions go, I mean, it just if there's one that, you know, that works out or Vinny says, Hey, why don't you come to this one with me or something? I mean, I, it'd be a blast. I mean, I I'll go to like Rose city comic-con here once in a while. Um, Cause I just enjoy people watching and it's a blast seeing people in costume and um, you know, it, you run into Robert England and, you know, Norman Reedus and all these really cool people. They're just wandering around and, and uh it would be it would be a lot of fun to to visit that but i mean as far as i don't have anything planned um the one thing that we were looking into and it's not set in stone or anything but we may try to get a showing at nobi bosco really yeah that's big if you can do that yeah because they don't just let anybody in there so that's that's that great. is correct yeah that so is we're, great we'll see we'll see nothing yeah. set in stone but we're working on it awesome that's awesome james 10 years yes, from now where is james um hopefully getting paid to make movies 
That's what I'm talking about, Jimmy. That's what I want to hear. We're going to see you. Yeah. Now. You, not hopefully, you are. You will be, man. And I want to give you the floor right now. I want to let you uh, let the followers, the listeners know where they can find Mr. James Sweet and uh, Jason Rising. Um, well, we have our Facebook page. Uh, we also have our website, which is jasonrising13.com. It's been so busy. I try to keep up with it, but that one's tougher because everything's on social media now. Um, websites kind of put on the back burner, but uh, Instagram, um, we do have our YouTube uh, channel as well for Jason Rising and also Red Crow Films. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm on social media just like the rest of them. Check him out, Horrorheads, Mr. James Sweet. Friday the 13th, Jason is alive in Blairstown and Jason is rising again on YouTube. And well, if you can make it out there, the premiere party in Hollywood, at the Hollywood Theater actually, in Portland, Oregon, Mr. James Sweet. Thank you so much, brother, for taking the time over here with this guy right here, the South Jersey Slasher himself, South Jersey Jason, and yours truly, Jimmy J. We'll see you next week. Feel like a uh, a ton of weight has come off your shoulders. I will when I see the complete movie file. We're it's going to be. Oh, so you haven't towards... you haven't watched the final cut yet yourself? Yeah, we've got a final cut, but there's still Carl's busy working on visual effects and coloring. Okay, I'm working on the end credits right now. Um, not to mention we're still having to finalize Foley and score. Okay. And then once we finish that, then it's got to go, which will probably be the last week before it goes to play. Uh, all the audio gets mastered. So that's going to take close to a week. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be scratching it in, but you know, it'll get done. It's just, you know, you're trying to just baby it, you know, you baby it the whole way. And, and I had actually, when I saw Nick Lyon, um, you know, he, he kind of said to me, he goes, once, you know, once you release this film, it's not yours anymore. And I, I've always taken that in to heart is like, you're right. It's not mine anymore. It's not going to be mine. You know, yeah. everybody, it's going to be everybody else to pick apart and, and feast off of. And, and you kind of lose your baby at that point. 